It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, once gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Um, We know that Saudi officials have been seizing rainbow-colored toys and clothing as part of an apparent crackdown on homosexuality in the country there. That's according to state-run media. I wonder what the White House uh, response is to that, given that the President's about to set up his um, pride credentials in in the next event. So I have not seen that reporting, but what I can say globally, uh, we work around the the globe to protect LGBTQI plus persons from violence and abuse, uh, criminalization, discrimination and stigma, and and empower local LGBTQI plus movements and persons. Uh, We do this through bilateral and multilateral channels, uh, raising official concerns with governments, both principal and privately, uh, coordinating our efforts with like-minded countries, and offering offering emergency assistance to LGBTQI plus persons at risk. Through our foreign assistance program, programming, we support civil society in providing LGBTQI plus individuals and communities with tools and resources to prevent, mitigate, and recover from violence, discrimination, and stigma. We see human rights as being universal. Yes, we do. Uh, that's a Corinne Jean-Pierre. She's the new first openly sexually confused press secretary for any administration in the United States of America, aren't we proud? Uh, So, and she's doing a great job. Most of the time she can't answer the questions. (laughs) I've kind of avoided playing clips that show her ineptness, Uh, but she is, she looks great, by the way. I love her hair. She's cute. She's engaging, but uh, she's got an agenda, and so does the Biden administration. But I want to talk first about the whole issue of of Saudi Arabia. That was a Daily Mail uh, reporter asking the press secretary that question. And basically he's saying, uh, so the Saudis, you know, they like throw, he didn't say this, I'm extrapolating. They throw gay people off of roofs. They actually, you know, punish and kill homosexual people. So President Biden is getting ready to go to the Saudi Saudi Arabia uh, in July to you know negotiate with them for oil and other things. And he is so gay friendly. How does that square? And you heard her answer. Of course, it doesn't square. But I want to make the point about the gas first because uh, could I repeat again that we are in a position to be energy independent? We were placed in that position by President Donald Trump. Uh, who did away with regulations, uh, allowed uh, all kinds of drilling, uh, uh, fracking, all of the things that we have special capabilities to do in this country, the pipeline, all of it. It was just incredible. We were energy independent in four years under President Trump. We did not need the Saudis to control and strangle us with their gas prices. And yet in walks President uh, Joe Biden, and he changes everything. He stops the pipeline. 
He stops drilling. He makes impossible restrictions on oil companies all the time, (laughs) blaming the oil companies for all of this, that they have permits for drilling. Why don't they just drill? And, you know, they want to make money. They're raising their prices, and they have these incredible profits. Like, really, the Biden administration, nothing to see here. We didn't do anything. Now, I just would say that the Daily Caller is reporting just yesterday that the Biden administration uh, has uh, quietly— He's delaying another oil and gasoline sale. He's delaying another one, but don't don't tell anybody, okay? Meanwhile, but he again, he's got nothing to do with these high gas prices and nothing to do with the destruction of our ability to be self-supporting with energy. Nothing to do with that whatsoever. Nothing to see here. And uh, so then, here's another interesting little story from the Daily Caller. Basically, it is that uh, the office of the Select Board of Edgerton, Massachusetts reported to the Daily Caller that an application for an, quote, underground propane installment was approved at the 79 Turkey Land Cove Road address. Uh, That address is owned by former President Barack Obama. The tanks are to be used for, quote, residential purposes, end quote, and have a total capacity of 2,500 gallons, which was broken into two 1,000-gallon tanks and one 500-gallon tank. And Arthur Smadlek, uh, who was a select board member, said, we've, we've never had a private propane tank come to us. So basically, what does that mean? It means that former President Barack Obama is installing a way to have gas for his family, for his cars, for whatever he wants to do, installed a propane, a propane tank uh, at his New England mansion, um, just sit on that for a minute. Just think about that. It is exactly what we tell you. It is a ruling by the elites. They will have fossil fuels. They will be able to heat and warm their heat and cool uh, their homes, and they will be able to fuel their cars, but you won't because they have special plans for all of us, including electric cars that will be worthless I think in the long run. By the way, could I just clarify? I think the whole idea of electric cars is brilliant, and I've got nothing against that. I I think it's brilliant to explore other kinds of you know transportation and fuel. That's how we got airplanes, for heaven's sakes, and bicycles before that. Uh, so I've got no problem with that. But the whole idea of uh, forcing people to drive electric cars and strangling their ability to buy fuel for their cars harming their families, making it impossible to buy goods and services that are going up exponentially because of the skyrocketing processes of fuel and not caring. So that just so that you will go into electric cars, which this particular administration is personally heavy vested in, and their friends are heavily vested in it. So it's an economic windfall for their buddies, and it's killing the rest of America. It is so, so Wrong, but that's not the only thing that's so so wrong. Um, Bill Maher just a few days ago was observing that. Um, well, I'll tell you right now what he was observing, and then I'll let you hear what he has to say. In the issue of this assassin, would be assassin of Brett Kavanaugh, the justice on the Supreme Court. Um, by the way, I should do it this way. Uh, they now have indicted him, and they've indicted him with one count of attempt of the attempt 
to assassinate a justice of the United States. By the way, they found additional things. They searched the bag and suitcase locked with zip ties that Roski showed up with and found two magazines and ammunition to go along with the suspect's freshly purchased pistol, a pistol light, a black tactical chest rig, a tactical knife, and pepper spray. He also had on him what appeared to be burglary tools, including a hammer, screwdriver, nail punch, crowbar, and hiking boots with padding on the outside of the soles. And by the way, that's supposed to be so you could be quiet when you are walking through a person's home in the middle of the night in order to do mischief and maybe kill so they won't hear you coming up. Roski was also found to have had duct tape and additional zip ties. What do you think he had in mind for Brett Kavanaugh and his family? What do you think he had in mind? And I find, as I'm reading more and more about this character, I, I don't see anybody reporting what I told you yesterday, that his previous address, they said he's from Simi Valley, California, but his previous address was Seattle, Washington. Who operates a lot of their operations in Seattle, Washington? People that dress in black and do violence and love crowbars and burglary tools. People that love to smash out windows. I'm just saying. Uh, do you think? I don't. I just don't know. I doubt this Justice Department is trying to see what his background is, Nicholas Roski, age 26. I doubt they're trying to make that uh, connection because, you know, Antifa is just, an, uh, it's just an idea. It's not an organization. So um, I'm just saying, look, I have no proof of this. I'm just telling you somebody look in, should look into this. And by the way, uh, Senate Majority Leader, Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Grassley and 10 other Republicans sent a very powerful letter uh, to uh, – Attorney General Garland demanding that he enforce the law because it is blatantly illegal for people to picket and appear outside of the of the residence of a sitting Supreme Court justice or any judge for that matter. It is violent, a uh, violent. It's a flagrant a violation of the law, and so. Uh, but no, you know, Garland is uh, you know not doing that. Uh, by the way, protesters out in front of Kavanaugh's house calling him a rapist, shouting. You know, his little kids live there. They're shouting. He's a rapist. And so Bill Maher uh, made an observation about the coverage of this. And this is what he said, clip four. The New York Times buried this. Yeah, it was like if a this tiny had been thing below a, the fold. If this had been a liberal Supreme Court justice that someone came to kill, it would, have been on the, it would have been on the front page. And that's what's so disappointing about a paper like the New York Times. Because they just wear their bias on their sleeves. And they, if it's not part of something that feeds our narrative, yeah, so that's Bill Maher who, in one of his outbursts of truth, which he often has those, but a lot of it, nevertheless. Thank you, Bill. That's a good point. And to make his point, the New York Times, when they talked about this assassin, uh, gave uh, printed it on page 20. I think he said that, but page 20 in the New York Times, that's the only coverage in their paper of this would-be assassin. Instead, they covered the January 6th hearings. And to get more down in the weeds, it just wasn't the New York Times. It was USA Today. It was left off the front page because they were covering the January 6th um, uh, Soviet-style uh, Inquisition. Uh, Chicago Tribune uh, the didn't cover it. Sunday's talk shows, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, didn't make a single mention of the attempted assassination of a Supreme Court justice. The networks since then have made scant mention of the threat. And so all they've been doing is talking about the January 6th uh, Soviet um, Soviet trial. Uh, also, the uh, members of the House, 100 of them, led by uh, Representative Scott Franklin of Florida and Claudia Tenney, New York, and Mike Johnson, L.A., have also sent a letter to the DOJ demanding 
that they look into this and also find out why so many uh, anti-abortion uh, gr- groups have been attacked by uh, protesters, and there's been nothing to stop them. And I'll give you an example here. Last night, there was another arsonist who firebombed a pro-life legislator's office, and that was in Olympia, Washington. They threw the firebomb, and it did not burn the building down, but the uh, the it was Representative Andrew Barkas in Olympia, Washington. There have been dozens of incidents tar- targeting pro-lifers and pro, you know, um, crisis pregnancy centers and other such things by different names. Uh, there's a whole series of them, and um, you can find that list. Uh, I think uh, Real Clear Politics have a, has an investigation, and they list all of them. Uh, but basically, there's a new statement now from abortion activists, and they say basically the leash is off for attacks on pro-life operations and declaring violence until pro-life groups shut down. They call themselves, uh, they call uh, their media outlet Abolition Media, and they say, we promised to take increasingly drastic measures against oppressive infrastructures. Rest assured that we will. And those measures may not come in the form of something so easily cleaned up as fire and graffiti. Sometimes you will see what we do, and you will know that it is us. And sometimes you will think you merely are unlucky because you cannot see the ways which we interfere in your affairs. Through attacking, we find joy, courage, and strip the veneer of impenetrability held by these violent institutions. And, of course, Jane's Revenge, named after Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, is, you know, you know, they say they're speaking on her behalf. They're acting on her behalf, and they call themselves Jane's Revenge. So um, this is a scary thing for people, and I just have to say, yeah, Real Clear Investigations does have this list of all the bombings. Uh, You know the one in, um, I think it was Wisconsin, it said, if abortion isn't safe, then you aren't either. Okay, so uh, we know our our work is cut out for us. We cannot. We cannot be faint. If you, you know, I did you not notice like during COVID how the hostilities in this country just turned up, how people became angrier? And you also felt like, you know, if this were Nazi Germany, your neighbors would turn you in if they could. Your children might even turn you in. This is this is where we are. I was saying to Bruce this morning, this comes to my mind, the famous quote, this these are the times that try men's souls. And so Listeners, my dear friends who listen every morning, are you up to this? Are you up to the task? I would say pray for steel in your blood and steel in your back and get ready for a fight because we're going to have a fight uh, and it's not going to go away quickly as I think many, many people would hope for. This is going to be a real test over the long term. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. This is Bible League International. Thank God your pastor wasn't attacked on Sunday, but it happened to Pastor Nepo recently while preaching in Burundi, Africa. Twenty radicals dragged him down the aisle to the front lawn where they beat him nearly to death because he's been faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims and nearly 200 have come to Christ in his village where Christians are attacked daily. Anyone who comes to Jesus as the Lord and Savior are easily persecuted. In coastal India, Jayanth planted a church in a village with no Christians and today more than half of that village 
follows Christ, but it did not come easy. His house was burned down twice. His wife was assaulted, and many in the church have been threatened with death, but they're not praying for an end to their suffering. They're praying for Bibles to endure and persevere. We're halfway to our goal to send God's Word to 16,000 Bibleless persecuted believers, and we need to wrap up in a week. So at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20. Will you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. Or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Lopa Kaluri, Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Office of Housing. Her office is responsible for policies, programs, and operations supporting homebuyers and homeowners in the United States. Luke 10.5 reminds us of the importance of peace in the home. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Lopa Kaluri in her role at HUD. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. Hey, this is Evangelist Nick Hall coming this summer. Together 22. 50 years ago, Explo 72, led by Billy Graham, rallied an entire generation to share the gospel. This summer, June 24th and 25th, we're doing it again. And it's free. Together 22 will feature some of the biggest names in Christian music, some of the best preachers coming to equip you. More information at Pulse.org. There is a very real chance that every record in women's swimming will be held by a man. Leah Thomas is a transgender swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania. For the first three years of his collegiate swimming career, he swam as a man, but now he says he's a woman, and the university has allowed him to swim on the women's team. Not only has he smashed school records, he is also setting NCAA records. Biological females are angry and frustrated. Some of his teammates have openly cried, knowing no matter how hard they try, they will not be able to beat a fully grown man in the pool. Parents sent a letter to the university begging for help. They say the integrity of women's sports is at stake. Well, in my opinion, the integrity of basic human biology is at stake. My new book, a bestseller, thanks to you great folks, our Daily Biscuit, Devotions with the Drawl, a terrific stocking stuffer, available at your favorite bookstore or toddstarns.com. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Elon Musk said this morning that he would vote for you if you were to run for Elon. So what I would say, um, you know, I'm focused on 2022. Uh, but with Elon Musk, what I would say is, you know, I welcome support from African Americans. What can I say? You know, I just had to play something funny because there's so little of it. But that's uh, if you couldn't catch that. Elon Musk had said. Yesterday, he tweeted that if uh, he would support Ron DeSantis for president if he runs. Uh, and um, and so that was Ron DeSantis's response. Yes, well, I would tell him I would welcome any any American, uh, African, African-American support I can get, something like that. Uh, just great. Ron DeSantis just has his finger on the pulse 
of what's relevant just all, you know, all the time. So, um, all right. Now, so my decision always is what in the world do I cover here? Because there is so much. And so, um, uh, let me go to this because uh, it's interesting because your email, uh, in the last few days has really folded into the headlines. And so I'm going to do my best here to, um, kind of exactly kind of do that fold, uh, your, some of your comments into the, the headlines this morning. This is from Brooke. She is a 6th to 12th grade uh, school counselor in Louisiana. And she says she listens every day on her way, way to work. And she said uh, she sent, sends me an article by the Washington Post called When Monogamy Isn't One Size Fits All. And she's talking about, you know, pretty much what they, the, the propaganda that's going out. And she's seeing this in her children, uh, that she's, uh, she hears this from her students and she said, I still try to speak truth to them about God's design for relationships marriage, but this floored me. It is no wonder my students find themselves continuously confused about their sexual orientation and now even monogamy. This garbage is poisoning our youth. Um, it's just another attack that we are seeing on the breakdown of the family as designed by our Creator. I am all the more determined and steadfast to be salt and light, however the Lord sees fit to use me, in the coming school year. Brooke, uh, God bless you. I was just contemplating uh, something similar this morning as I, it seems like every day, every day is a huge challenge. There's just mounds of information and um, not enough help. I had technical problems this morning. There's always something. And uh, so I just think what I said before I took the break here, that these are the times that try men's soul. And I would encourage all of you to double down in your resolve um, to serve God faithfully, to do what's right, to speak up, to not be a coward. Don't be a coward. And so Brooke is, as a teacher, can you imagine what she is um, having to do and what she's having to navigate? Yeah, perhaps it's easier in Louisiana. I don't know uh, than it would be in New York City or Chicago. But nevertheless, heaven knows, God knows, we need teachers who can stay the course in public school. Uh, many of them have left, and I don't fault them for that. But I would just challenge all of you not to, not to quit. Don't quit. It's hard. Not, who doesn't want to quit? Who doesn't want to run and just uh, put your head under a pillow or you know, enjoy you know, um, prime video or whatever you're doing? Uh, who doesn't want to do that? But this problems, these problems we're facing are so large, they are not going away. And if we don't fight right now, they will only be worse later, and we will wish we'd spoken up when we had the chance. Uh, Brooke, thank you for that email. This is, um, and speaking of that, I did not even touch on this at the news at the top of the hour. Uh, they told you what I want to tell you is that President Biden is now, you know, signing this order that, um, that uh, hang on a second. He's addressing the HHS, Health and Human Services, and he wants them to expand access to sex change treatments, especially for kids. You know, he loves the kids. He's signed an executive order with uh, transgender kids from Florida and Texas where they have these horribly oppressive laws where they actually think it's deadly and damning and harmful for little children to get sex or, you know, hormone, uh, or have their healthy body parts removed or encourage them to call themselves boys when they're girls. These people in Texas and Florida, what are they thinking? So those poor victims, uh, little children victims in those states, so stood behind him as he signed the order. And it charges 
um, the HHS to work with states to promote expanded access to gender-affirming care. And also, you know, make uh, treatments and uh, hormone therapy and sex change surgeries available. This is important for children, you know. We must do that. It's a priority of this administration. And uh, in response to what happened, the Assistant Secretary for Health, Rachel Levine, you may remember Rachel looks like a, a, a sorry, I'm going to be very unkind, a fat older man uh, with a double chin. With He looks like Ben Franklin in a dress because that's what he is. He has long hair on his shoulders. And he wears, uh, you know, this is a picture that I posted on Facebook a long time ago when we were still on Facebook of him wearing a little little girl dress with height, you know, st- knee, knee socks, white knee socks and ruffles, carrying a purse through the airport, this heavy white man with a double chin who looks like Ben Franklin. That's Rachel Levin. Rachel, of course, it's Rachel. Keep in mind, it's Rachel. Now, don't you think that's a man? Don't you dare think that. That's Rachel prancing down the hallway of uh, Washington Airport. But uh, she's the first, she, he, is the first openly transgender American to serve in a Senate-confirmed position. But she said, today's executive order continues the Biden administration's work against prejudice and makes it easier for people living in this country to live their lives openly and freely without fear of harassment, scorn, or attack. Never mind that we probably are ruining lives. We are causing statistics show that suicides among people who have... um, that consider themselves transgender and have gone through these surgeries, uh, the suicide rate is incredible. The regret is overwhelming. But you don't hear that in the headlines. Rachel Levine doesn't talk about that, and neither does anybody in the Biden administration. By the way, uh, he's not alone. The Michigan AG Dana Nessel yesterday in a conference, she said, let's see, what did she say? She said, drag queens make everything better. Drag queens are fun. She said that at the 2022 Michigan Civil Rights Summit. Drag queens are entertainment. And you know what I'll say that was totally not poll tested? I'll say this. A drag queen for every school. That's what the Attorney General of Michigan is all about. A drag queen for every school. She's the one who went after, remember when President Trump went to uh, Michigan, I think it was Detroit, and he was visiting a a plant, a, a car plant? And he refused to wear a mask, and she's the one who banned him from the state. She's very serious, very serious about wearing masks is, is um, just a terrible thing to do. Not wearing masks is a terrible thing to do, but dressing as a, a man in female clothing and dancing in front of children uh, is just, just great. We have to protect that. In fact, we should have one in every school. Twisted, twisted, twisted. By the way, uh, friends of mine in uh, Michigan are telling me that Tudor Dixon is a really great candidate for governor there uh, because they're, you know, they have elections that they've got. They're trying to get Dana Nessel out, and they're trying to get their governor out. And you know that uh, they've removed five Republicans from the ballot uh, over the, the nefarious charge that their signatures were disqualified. They, I'm not going to go into all of that. It takes too long. Uh, but let's just say that it was... Uh, very suspicious how that happened. And now they have arrested the FBI, did an early morning raid on another a Republican candidate, the one that was in the lead, accusing him of, you know, maybe perhaps being there on January the 6th. He says he was there, but he didn't go into the Capitol. But, you know, they think he might have. So they may not be sure, but they, you know, very well-timed arrest. This is madness. But Tudor Dixon, 
by the way, came out and pledged criminal penalties for adults who involve children in drag shows, describing it as sexually abusive activities. So people, friends in Michigan, take note of Tudor Dixon. Um, all right. So, oh, one more thing about the Obama administration and their commitment. <laughs> their commitment. They should be committed. Uh, they, uh, the American embassy in Athens, Christopher Rufo, Rufo tweets this, the American embassy in Athens displaying the pride flag is displaying the pride flag more prominently and in greater size than the American flag. Aren't we proud? Oh, we are so proud. Isn't that something? Because as a country, what we really believe in is uh, transgender, LGBTQ plus rights. That's what we're all about. Our leaders wear little girl dresses that are men. And it's, are we proud? We're just so proud. And that's where we are with this administration. So, um, all right, I want to interject something else. I got this from, uh, yeah, probably somebody that's not serious. Or maybe, maybe, um, I made the, the statement a couple of times over for last Friday's show and the Friday show before that when I was interviewing Vody Bakum and I interviewed Tom Askell. Vody was running for uh, the head of the pastor's conference at the SBC and uh, Tom was running for president. And I made the point that the Southern Baptist Convention is not a top-down organization. It, it, every church is autonomous. It's a different, it's very, very different from Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic. Uh, they don't control their local congregations. It's like a federal, like our system of government should be, where the federal government is small, only does those things that are big, where they work together, uh, should work together like forming armies and fighting enemies. Uh, but not controlling everything that uh, the local entity does. But the Southern Baptist Convention is set up in the same way. But my listener or critic, I'm not sure if he's really a listener, calls himself de pluribus unum. Okay, so that should tell us something. But he says about the SBC, they do control. They control pastors by controlling their retirement funds. They control the churches by loaning building funds. A church in Tennessee lost their property, their crime, their crime, they supported independent missionaries. I don't know anything about that. But but assuming that you, this is a serious uh, challenge, um, it's very different, you know, to control what goes on in a local congregation, control who their leaders are, be hovering over them to see who needs to be disciplined or removed, what allegations are there. That's what the SBC does not do. They're run by an executive committee, and they do the things like the missions and um and other things that they work on together, but they don't oversee the details of local churches. Local churches are responsible to hire and fire their ministers, to discipline anyone who gets into some sort of a sexual, uh, absolutely unacceptable biblically sexual situation. Uh, they have biblical, our, our rules are biblical, meaning Christians. We have guidelines in Scripture about how to handle that, and churches are to do that. It's not the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee's job to do that. And that's what's so twisted about this report that came out from the Washington, D.C. firm accusing them of uh, turning a blind eye because it's just, it's just a twist, again, of something that's not, com- not true. Uh, the local churches were taking care of business, as I understand it. And by the way, speaking of Vody Bauckham, he did lose uh, to um, Pastor Daniel Dickard of Friendly Avenue Baptist Church in Greensboro. He was nominated by Jordan Easley, uh, who is the pastor of First Baptist Church Cleveland, and he said uh, the reason he nominated Dickard was because he was born in an SBC church. 
He was raised and discipled by faithful men and women in SBC churches, and his father is an SBC pastor. Um, so um, I think that's a bad reason myself. Uh, don't, don't you want somebody leading that you would assess based on their passion for the Word, for their interpretation of Scripture, uh, for their ability to tackle the complex issues of the culture, not because they were raised in the Southern Baptist denomination. That seems like a very weak reason. Bodhi didn't lose by much. Um, 59 votes were rejected. I don't know the story behind that. But also, um, Bart Barkey, is it? Can't quite. Barker, maybe, uh, is the winner of the uh, presidential race. Uh, he defeated Tom Askell. I don't know anything more about that. Uh, so hopefully we'll find out a little bit more about that. But that's what happened to the Southern Baptists this week in Anaheim. Sounds like we'll ask Rod Martin to come back and join us and give us more detail on that. So this is another uh, from Peggy, and she says, We heard your interview with the J6 prisoner today. That was yesterday. Uh, we interviewed, uh, I think it was Jake, from, from the jail in Alexandria, Virginia. And she says, My husband asked me how you're able to interview him on an open radio station when he is in solitary confinement and in prison. I couldn't answer that. He asked if it was real. I told him I was pretty sure. Uh, I trust you and your delivery of the news, but he tends to be more skeptical. Are you able to explain how that works? Uh, Adam, I'm going to ask you, how did we talk to him yesterday? Do you, it, last time we talked to prisoners in the jail, uh, we, uh, we went through the prison system, the phone there, and this time we didn't. Do you have any insight into that? I'll ask you. You can tell me during the break, and I'll respond to that. Uh, but I would just say this. If you ask if this is real, it is real because uh, his name came to us through other families of J6ers, and he was recommended to us. Uh, so it's well documented that he is a real prisoner, and the things that he said are real. How he had talked to us yesterday uh, in a different system, I can't answer that. Uh, that's the same way I can't answer how he produced a movie while he was in jail, but he did. He said he hasn't seen it, but he produced it. So uh, there, there are things that are ev evidently they're able to work around the system that I don't understand, but trust me, that's genuine. I'm going to get into some more of that yes in just a second. Um, I'm going to talk about the elections because we have a couple more uh, results. Sarah Palin did make it through the Alaska special election for the open house seat. She is among the top three candidates, and now they will have a special election in August to elect the final one. In a, a field of 50 candidates, uh, Sarah got 28.3%. Republican Nick Begich got 193 and independent Al Gross. Well, I'm not going to go through all that. There's three or four more candidates, but... Uh, now they'll have a runoff. Uh, they have what they call ranked choice voting, which really is a disaster. If you care anything about, it's where everyone votes for whoever wants to run. And it's kind of like doing away with the electoral college. To me, it means that like, if you live in a heavily Democratic area, you will never have a Republican represent you. Or if you live in a Republican area that's establishment, you'll never have a conservative represent you. But that's what they're up, up against in Alaska. I think there's a lot of that around the states. I don't know which ones. By the way, uh, Risser from uh, Oklahoma tells us Mark Wayne Mullen is really bad. He's running for to replace Jim Inhofe. He says that the best candidate is T.W. Shannon. And Pastor Jack Lamar needs to pre um, replace James Langford. Okay, so there you go. When you do life the way the owner's manual tells you to do life, you will be glad you read the manual because it will save you from so much grief and so much heartache and give you such joy as you walk with the Lord. Dr. David Jeremiah continues his series, The Word, 
next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. Hi, this is Pastor Robert Morris. I'm often asked, how do I grow in my relationship with the Lord? How do I hear God? What is God's plan and purpose for me? I want to personally invite you to join me on Sunday mornings right here on AFR for worship and the Word. And we will discover the answer to these questions together. We'll explore the truths found in God's Word that will help you strengthen your faith and develop a more intimate relationship with Him. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Statistics show that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and to commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. Yet the percentage of children born to fatherless homes has skyrocketed in America. As of 2015, 25% of white, 53% of Hispanic, and 73% of black babies are born into fatherless homes. While scripture teaches that the weight of raising children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord falls upon fathers. Seems like we need a movement that says fatherhood matters. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills, and it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. And you can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Last month, the World Health Organization sought with the help of the Biden administration to secure sweeping new powers to dictate what constitute public health emergencies and how they will be addressed. That gambit was blocked by an unexpected surge of opposition from nations not as willing to surrender their sovereignty to an unaccountable supranational organization as is Team Biden. The WHO's complete submission to the Chinese Communist Party line in the course of the COVID-19 pandemic may have been a factor. As its Director General renews his bid for expanded powers, he is distancing himself a bit from Beijing, notably by expressing a willingness to consider afresh whether the COVID virus actually did come from a Chinese bioweapons laboratory. Watch this space as our Center for Security Policy has a major new study on that subject coming out next week. This is Frank Afney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio.
That was a sound. I know it's hard to understand that, but let me just give you the setting. There was a press conference yesterday called Due Process Denied. Joseph McBride, the attorney for several J6ers, was there. This was in Washington. That was Louis Gohmert speaking at the very, very first part of it. He's, there were several people that spoke were going to get into that. Uh, and as Louis was talking, they were talking about uh, one of the J6ers who was from Texas and laying out what's happening to him. We're gonna, you're going to hear a little bit of that. You've been hearing a lot of that from us. I know that. But uh, And this guy just happened to walk by. He was visiting D.C. with his wife. He's from Texas. He heard this description of what's happening to this guy in Texas. And I actually think it might be uh, the, the husband of our, of our next clip. It was Bonnie Nichols. And he's just furious. Why haven't I heard this? Why aren't you guys covering this? CBS, where are you? What are you doing? Why did I have to come all this way? I'm just on vacation. I'm walking by and I hear this and I'm hearing nothing about this in the press. And um, that's why I think, Peggy, you wrote me about whether your husband's skeptical about whether our interview with, uh, with Jake Lang yesterday was real. Uh, because he's not hearing it from anywhere else, so it sounds so incredible. But it is true. It is absolutely true. We, Many of us are covering this. Uh, Julie Kelly's writing about it all the time, but nobody else is covering it. That's why you think it can't possibly be true. It can't be true. And as a matter of fact, um, to just sort of emphasize this, Bonnie Nichols, who was the wife of Ryan, her husband uh, is, I believe, the one from Texas, and she's talking about, she is saying at this press conference, What's happening to her her husband, clip eight? I am the wife of Ryan Nichols. He is a husband, a father of two young boys, ages five and just eight. I I stand here next to Patty Nichols and Don Nichols. And my husband has not seen his children in 514 days. My children do not remember what their father looks like. We have been denied access to see him, not even on video. Have we been access, been denied access to see him, not even on video, due to COVID. My husband is a Marine veteran. He served his country honorably. He has not been convicted of any crime, and he has no criminal history. He has been labeled as an insurrectionist, and the narrative that they are trying to play is inaccurate. My husband owns a nonprofit called Rescue the Universe where he goes all around the nation rescuing elderly women, children, and animals in hurricanes and natural disasters. He's a hero in his community. And he's been featured on Ellen DeGeneres and many other media stations for his rescue efforts. That is who Ryan Nichols is. Yeah, that is who Ryan Nichols is. And he's one of so many. We've talked to so many of them. We're going to talk to more of them who were incarcerated, held in solitary confinement. Jake, Jake uh, Lane, by the way, is held in solitary co- confinement 22 out of 24 hours 
a day. And uh, during the break, uh, Adam told me one of the reasons we were able to talk to him yesterday because that the two hours that he has out of his jail uh, happened yesterday morning during our show. Now, how he has a phone and can make contact, I don't know. Uh, I think he he, ac- he actually uh, is very sophisticated in terms of his understanding of things. You could hear him speaking yesterday. I think he owns two businesses, and so he must have a way. Uh, but it is absolutely true. His story is absolutely true. And let me go on. Bonnie Nichols goes on to talk more about her husband, Ryan, uh, the Marine veteran. And this is what she had to say, clip nine. My husband has been denied access to due process, all of his constitutional rights, which he served his country honorably for. He's been denied access to see his family. He's been denied access to sunlight and nutritional diet. He's been denied access to have a haircut and to shave and to clip his fingernails and his toenails. And the guards in the D.C. Gulag told him to chew his toenails off. This is the way that American citizens are being treated here in this country. It is wrong. It is unconstitutional. It is absolutely disgusting. And I share my testimony here today for everyone in every America to wake up to the truth about what is happening. You guys are being blindsided and brainwashed by the left, by the DOJ, and by the January 6th committee. They're not telling the truth. They're only telling you one side of the story. They're covering up the truth, and America deserves the truth. Like Joseph McBride said, they only played one part of that video. It was completely edited, and I demand them to uncover the truth, release the tapes, because America deserves that. My husband is not an insurrectionist. He's a Marine veteran. He served four years to serve his country, and this is the way veterans are being treated in America. It is disgusting. It is disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting. It makes me so angry. That's why I talk about this so much. And so many of those guys in the jail are, are actually veterans who have served their country. And many of them were in the one that tunnel where you see so much of that video. And we heard Jacob describe what happened in the tunnel as they tried to pass through. And it became the, the police started pushing back and started pepper spraying the people. And it created like a stampede. And people were killed. And then the police were beating people that were falling and that's where um, Roseanne Boylan died in Jake, Jacob Lang's arms yesterday. Yesterday. Yesterday we talked to him about it, and he described how she died in his arms. And yet we have this kangaroo court, this Soviet-style interrogation taking place for all of America to watch, if they dare watch it. And they're not showing both sides of the story, as Bonnie just said, and that's what I tried to explain to you yesterday. They're editing. Uh, the Any testimony is being edited. I told you Cleta Mitchell told me that she was before the committee. They will not even release to Cleta the video of her own, uh, her own testimony before the committee. And they will not let her. They can't have a copy of the transcript of what she said and what they said so that they can prepare her defense. This is This is like so Soviet. This is like... Let's go to North Korea. We might get a better trial. Uh, it's just, it is insane. And then we have the silence of Congress. The silence of Congress. The silence. How dare they? And during this, you know, I t- played for you last week, um, Maria Bartiroma interviewing Kevin McCarthy. And she asked him, but what about those prisoners that are being held? And uh, without their rights, what, what about that? And so he, he gives some, like, four-word response and then morphs to how we're going to 
get the gas prices down. We're going to save the economy, blah, blah, blah. I trust me. If Kevin McCarthy is the Speaker of the House again, and it looks like he's going to be, well, isn't that a wonderful, exciting thing for all of us? They will do nothing about January 6th. They will do nothing. Mitch McConnell's not going to do anything. Uh, He's so offended that they should interrupt uh, democracy on that day and come into his house that he personally owns. Uh, And he's the one personally, you know, personally responsible for democracy in this country. It has nothing to do with the people who actually knew there was voter fraud. You heard our attorney general, uh, William Barr, laugh about uh, any notion there was voter fraud or the machines were faulty. It was just ridiculous, and I didn't, you know, I didn't investigate that. We gave it a look, but we just thought it was just ridiculous, and it was BS, he said, only he actually said the words. And so Washington is a place that is in the vortex of whatever the media talks about, whatever the talking heads talk to each other. It's like one big, nasty, horrible, destructive game that goes on there, and they People, even good people, living in that particular bubble, they call it. Boy, that's too nice of a word. Living in that horrible place cannot be. They get infected by it. And so even congressmen and senators, even if they are they were there and they don't have a full picture, except for the handful that was at that press conference yesterday, like uh, Matt Gates and uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Louis Gohmert and a few others, uh, they... The others don't care. They don't want to hear. And they're afraid to take it on because you can see that there's a lot of heat on them and they don't have courage. They're cowards. And so this is what we have. So Joseph McBride, who was not a coward, made the statement yesterday that the actual J6 hearing has tainted the jury pool for anyone on trial in D.C. and really anywhere in the country. Who can be objective after seeing that kangaroo court where nothing is presented, not both sides, Ashley Babbitt's not even mentioned. Really, none of the other videos are available. It's just the ones that they've doctored to suit their narrative. And so um, I want to read you a little bit. Uh, Judicial Watch has been really researching this, the shooting of Ashley Babbitt. And uh, let me see if I can uh, make this concise. There's a new memo that they were able to uh, obtain. It's 102 pages from the Department of Justice, and in that, they noticed that the Department of Justice, in the memo, uh, it had said that uh, the killing of Ashley Babbitt basically took, basically took place uh, amidst a group of people, uh, or a crowd of people, and they scratched it out several times in the, the fi- thing they finally sent out to change the word to mob. They changed, changed group or crowd to mob. It was a mob. It was a mob. It was a mob. It was a mob. And so uh, that's what the Justice Department did. Of course, remember that um, Ashley Babbitt was unarmed. She was shot and killed as she climbed through a broken interior window at the United States Capitol. She was a 14-year Air Force veteran. And the identity of the shooter was kept secret by Congress, the Justice Department, and D.C. police for eight months. And Byrd went public to try to, until he went public, to try to defend his killing of Ashley Babbitt. Remember that, um, in fact, in this particular 104 pages that Judicial Watch received, they saw that um, the no one provided the records uh, that Judicial Watch was asking, not the Federal Bureau of Investigation, U.S. attorneys, or the uh, anyone responded to their request. And so um, they also found out that Lieutenant Byrd had been 
also charged with run prior use of force matter. So he had come up on charges of, uh, you know, using excessive force, but we don't know any diff- any details about that. We just know that another instance of this had come up in some form or fashion uh, before a disciplinary review board. Well, we also know that when Lieutenant Bird now, who was the shooter, came to work that morning, less than half of his staff was at the house chamber. And he was told that, uh, he was, I don't know what he was told. We don't know what, if he did, he asked for that, if that was from, from above or what, but why weren't they there? Why were they understaffed? This is something that Mike Waller told us the day after January 6th when I talked to him because he was there. And he said that th- there were so few police there. They were so under uh, undermanned. It was unbelievable. And I also told you, that we now have verified in writing uh, proof that President Trump asked for 20,000 National Guard and that Muriel Bowser refused. Okay, so, um, all right, so that's that's the headlines pretty much of what Judicial Watch has found. Also, the, the point has been made, and this is really true, that the J6 committee, you know, the Congress is not they are not the judicial branch. They are not the executive branch. They are supposed to make laws. That's what they're supposed to do. And in that hearing, uh, led by Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson, did they propose any legislation to do any fixes? Did they talk about legislation? No, it was a trial. It was like it was a different branch of the government. That is not their job to try or to do to try to bring criminal charges. Now they didn't do that, but that's what they're trying to do. They want. President Trump indicted for whatever reason uh, for his part in January the 6th. That is not the Congress's duty. It is not their duty. It never has been uh, through all of these years of our constitutional uh, law. So um, this is something by Paul Sperry. I really like Paul. He's a great writer. He's a great researcher. He writes for real clear politics, among other things. But he says... um, The January 6th hearing is now delayed for a third time, and they're rescheduling for Thursday today. That's at 10 to 1. They're reporting technical issues, and that would include teleprompters. And Paul points out they don't know their questions. They just read the teleprompter because the whole thing is scripted. You know, it is a production. So if the prompters are down, well, Houston, we got a problem because, uh, heaven forbid, they should have, you know, an original thought in their head as they uh, bring this. It's, It's staged. It's programmed. And um, it's going to continue today at 10 o'clock in the morning. So, all right. Well, that's uh, that's all we have for today. And I hope that uh, it's. I hope you got something out of this that's helpful to you. Uh, it's something to keep. You know, you can always listen later and take some notes. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.